you ever wondered how you, an elementary teacher, can move from inside the confines of a standardized curriculum box to a teaching and learning space that is more creative? And how can you make this leap in your teaching practice in an easy and more systematic way that doesn't create more work for yourself during planning sessions? This is what I'm hoping to accomplish with Get Off the Dotted Line, a podcast that gives elementary teachers simple step-by-step tools, guidance, and advice on how to make teaching more creative without sacrificing high-quality content, instruction, skills, and amazing learning potential for your students. I'm your host, Dr. Paige Hendricks, and together we will explore different ways to simplify your planning and add a lot of creative impact that is outside the confines of standardized curriculum and the dotted lines. In today's podcast, we are going to discuss the details, similarities, positives, and pitfalls of both a word wall and a sound wall. This podcast is different from others I've done, as there are no new tips for you to implement. Rather, I just thought it good to have a discussion about these two types of language arts teaching strategies. So let's dive in, the word wall and the sound wall. Whether you consider yourself a creative teacher or not, or just need a spark to re-energize your classroom atmosphere tomorrow, this episode will help you confidently engage your students and create an atmosphere for high-quality content, instruction, and amazing learning potential to begin. As an elementary school teacher, I was given a lot of instruction, mainly in the form of on-the-job training, regarding teaching students to read. Even as a novice teacher, I knew that teaching students to read well was the most important part of the school day, every day. I recall during more than one parent conference and open house night, stressing the importance of, quote, learning to read, end quote, in first grade, so that the following school years could be spent reading to learn. I also remember during my first teaching job, the emphasis my principal put on teaching reading so our students knew how to read well. We had additional reading specialists assigned to our school, early morning reading groups for those students who needed additional assistance, and a two and a half to three hour block of uninterrupted time each day designated for language arts instruction. Let me just say that that uninterrupted time was something that our principal thankfully coveted, and there were no announcements, no one could come into our room, we were there teaching reading for that big chunk of time. It was awesome. This initial experience in a school environment really set the tone for me about teaching reading. I also remember subsequent teaching jobs when this emphasis wasn't the case, and how different, weird, and really unfulfilling this was in my head. I hope you can relate to the former example rather than the latter. Current literature on reading instruction talks about teaching the science of reading while emphasizing reading and learning sounds and letters as developmental in the brain and body, kinesthetically using the mouth, jaw, and chin. So reading instruction has taken on different or maybe deeper meanings than it had years ago. Like Maya Angelou says, Do the best that you can until you know better, and then when you know better, do better. 
I see teaching reading as a perfect example of this revolutionary process. Let me take some time to define a word wall and a sound wall. For those of you who want additional information, though, please listen to episodes six and seven of this podcast, because I go into a lot of detail about each wall in each of those podcasts. I also want to discuss some similarities between the two walls and present some questions you as elementary teachers can consider when selecting to use a word wall, a sound wall, or both for your classrooms. So let's get started. The word wall. One of the many teaching and learning strategies I was taught to incorporate into my reading instruction was the word wall. Not only was I instructed to use a word wall by my colleagues, I was also trained in using and building my language arts instruction around a word wall by a representative from the Rigby Wright Company. For those of you who aren't familiar with Rigby Wright, they're now under the umbrella of Houghton Mifflin Book Company, and they're the ones that make those small books, the guided leveled reading books, and the big books that you use in your classroom. According to Patricia Cunningham, who is credited with also inventing the word wall, the word wall is an area in the classroom where words are displayed, but not just any words, truly important ones. They're systematically organized and a tool designed to promote group learning. Word walls are placed in alphabetical order. The word wall is designed to help students identify and use words in their reading and writing across all content areas. In my classroom, we had a general word wall using a combination of words from the Dolch and the Fry lists. These lists are high-frequency words students in various grades will encounter in their reading and writing. Teachers, though, can also create word walls using content area vocabulary from math or science or social studies or even social-emotional development words, too. The options for word walls are endless. So why use a word wall? Well, word walls aid students in developing both phonics and spelling skills. Students use the word wall to visualize spelling patterns and relationships between words with similar roots and sounds. Word walls also help students achieve fluency, or the ability to read orally with speed and efficiency, including word recognition, decoding, and comprehension. And finally, word walls help students independently learn the spelling of words contained on the wall without the assistance of a teacher. So instead of having to ask the teacher to spell every word, students have a constant visual reference in their classroom to refer to when reading or writing. As I mentioned in episode 6, the word wall is organized alphabetically by how the words are spelled. Teachers should print the words in a large, black, easy-to-read font, and I made my vowels red, another tip from my Rigby Wright trainer. Teachers should begin the school year with a blank word wall and add four to five words each week with their students after teaching them multiple times in whole group instruction. So there is the word wall in a nutshell. Let's move on to the sound wall. Recently, I became aware of another reading teaching tool called the sound wall. A sound wall is a visual representation of the different sounds or phonemes heard in English speech. This representation is grouped by sounds and the manner in which a human mouth and tongue form these sounds. Because a sound cannot be written, letters are used to represent the sounds. On a sound wall, the visual representation of the long A sound would be words where the long A sound can be heard, such as make or rain. 
Notice the words are categorized by sound and are not indicative of the spelling. Therefore, a sound wall matches speech patterns or the phonemes to the letters, the graphemes, that represent those particular sounds. Near to the sound categories and words on a sound wall are pictures of mouths. These pictures show students how to make that particular sound. This is so students can practice the sounds as they're saying the words. I learned that there are two versions of the sound wall, a consonant sound wall and a vowel sound wall. A consonant sound wall is organized by the way the consonant sound is being articulated or formed by the tongue, mouth, and jaw. This wall shows groups of sounds with pictures of mouths to assist students in learning how to form the sounds, as well as recognize words where the sound is occurring. A sound wall is also organized by the place of articulation and is visually represented in the shape of a V or a valley. This V shape is similar to the change in position of the human mouth and jaw when producing the different vowel sounds. So why use a sound wall? Humans learn to speak before reading and writing, making the process of learning language sounds and sound production really important. Research suggests that early childhood educators should be specifically aware of and trained to properly teach English language sounds, specifically phonemes. Readers make connection between print patterns and phonological information stored in the brain already in order to make meaning of a word they are reading. Therefore, teaching phonemes first may be more helpful to teach before teaching sound letter correspondence because the sounds are what the humans are taught first before learning letters and words. Although teachers often stress five or maybe six vowel letters, these letters actually represent 18 different vowel sounds. And similar to word walls, sound walls should be set up in categories of consonant sounds or vowel sounds with words placed near these categories. Also similar to word walls, these categories and sounds should be printed in a black, easy-to-read font for students to see and use. I recommend that the pictures of the mouse be printed in color so students can relate to how to make sounds properly. Also similar to word walls, I recommend beginning the school year with a blank sound wall and adding one new sound every few days with students during whole group instruction. So there you have it, a recap of sound walls. I hope you've heard some positives for both sound walls and word walls in this podcast. And no matter which wall you choose, your students will benefit from the use of them. But that's the key. The wall needs to be used a lot during instruction every single day. Many of the workshops our Rigby Wright trainer discussed with us were about how to use the word wall during instruction, in writing instruction, as a language arts center, as an interactive tool, you name it. Her point was to always reference and use it so the students got used to using the word wall as well. My takeaway from this was to mention the word wall every chance I got, and you better believe I did, because putting the wall up in the summer before school started took me a bit of time, so I was sure to use it every chance I got. Although word walls incorporate many of the words students see and need to master during their emerging reading and writing instruction, research states it may be developmentally inappropriate to expect kindergartners and first graders to use the word wall to support them. Without knowledge and understanding of sound production, young students may be unable to use the word wall as intended, to locate and use the words on the wall. 
I can see this being an issue with students who have novice knowledge of sound to letter recognition and or students who are learning English as a second language. Something else to consider regarding word walls and sound walls is the teaching strategy's point of view. Word walls can be more teacher-centered as the words placed onto the wall are presented to the students by the teacher. My colleagues and I chose the words for the word wall. This is true. And I argue that a simple restructuring of the word wall, though, could include student input and negate this argument altogether. I often had students suggest word wall words from our content areas or from the context of our classroom. For example, one year, my students and I did a lot of work with student names at the beginning of school. So one student suggested we put everyone's name on the word wall, which is common, and this knowledge could be used by everyone in the class, not just me, from our class list, so I happily obliged. To many educators and reading specialists, sound walls are considered more student-centered because they work directly with how a student makes a sound with their own mouth rather than how they spell a word, a more complicated task that requires letter and print knowledge. This argument is especially valuable when teaching how to read or write a word that breaks the rules, like the word knee, K-N-E-E, or the word right, R-I-G-H-T. Categorizing words by how they sound rather than how they're spelled may make more sense to young learners and those at the emerging level of reading instruction. So some questions to consider. Using my previous knowledge of word walls and incorporating my newly acquired knowledge of sound walls, I had a few things I pondered over when I was writing this podcast. These questions are also ones you may consider for your classroom or as you're sitting in a professional learning opportunity on reading strategies. My first question was, whenever I was confronted with a new teaching strategy, I always asked myself, is this strategy good for students? It seems like a simple question and one I asked myself all the time, but I found over the years it was a really powerful indicator of what took place in my classroom. So let's put that question to the test when we're talking about word walls and sound walls. Is the word wall good for students? I'd argue, yes. If the students have an average level of understanding of English sound to print match, and the word wall is referenced, manipulated, used, and celebrated often in the classroom. The constant interaction with a word wall encourages student learning, as well as focuses the word wall on the students, thus becoming a less teacher-centered learning strategy. The constant interaction with a word wall encourages student learning, as well as focuses this strategy onto the students, thus becoming a less teacher-centered learning strategy. Is the sound wall good for students? Again, I'd argue, yes, as a sound wall assists students greatly with sound formation and recognition, the building blocks to better readers and writers. Because the sound wall uses basic sound knowledge, something the human brain thrives upon, it can help students increase their word knowledge from the ground up and become a strong student-centered learning tool. Still considering which wall to put up? I'd argue to think about what is most effective for your students. One year, many of my students had excellent sound-to-letter recognition skills. Therefore, the sound wall, had I known about it then, might not have been as effective and usable for those students because the knowledge did not propel their reading and writing development forward. Another year, I had six students in first grade who didn't know all of their letter sounds and struggled with sound-to-letter matching. In this instance, a sound wall could have proved really useful. But during that same year, I had five students reading well above grade level. 
So maybe I would have put up both a sound wall and a word wall and directed students accordingly. Something to consider. My second question occurred during our current pandemic environment as educators and students are returning to classrooms wearing masks. This makes me wonder about the effectiveness of a sound wall, a highly visual teaching strategy. So my question is, how can a teacher accurately show and assess tongue, mouth, and jaw placements from a sound wall when those body parts are covered? This is a challenging task without the occasional removal of the mask during teaching time, and something to consider from those of you who have very strict mask-wearing guidelines in your classrooms. On the contrary, a word wall does not require extensive facial recognition and assessment because the students can see the letters used to form the words. So this point makes the current pandemic less of an issue for effective use of the word wall instead of the sound wall. But in the end, why do teachers have to choose one wall over another? Why not consider what students need and match the word and or the sound wall accordingly? Maybe teachers can consider having both in their classrooms or opting for word and sound walls to be portable and individually placed in manila folders on student desks. This way, the learning can be differentiated and tailored to student needs. My vote really lies here, especially if I have a highly mixed ability classroom of students. It's the best of both worlds. Again, I'll reference Maya Angelou. Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Current research indicates teaching reading is complex and involves the implementation of multiple teaching strategies. Some strategies have only surfaced recently and due to new knowledge about the science of teaching reading. Consider your decision on using a word wall, a sound wall, or both based upon what is good for your students and their learning needs so they and you can do better because you know better. Whether you consider yourself a creative teacher or not, or just need a spark to re-energize your classroom atmosphere tomorrow, I hope this discussion of word walls and sound walls has helped you confidently engage your students and create an atmosphere for high-quality content, instruction, and amazing learning potential to begin. To review key takeaways from today's episode and get the free handout, please visit my website at pagehendricks.com. That's P-A-I-G-E Hendricks.com. Before we go, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast and want to listen to more. Please subscribe to Get Off the Dotted Line. I can't wait to share another podcast with you. Thank you again for joining me, Dr. Paige Hendricks, in today's episode of Get Off the Dotted Line. See you next time.